Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Morning, Andrew. How you doing? I'm not great, James, to be honest. Oh, why? Well, do you remember last week we recorded a waffle podcast for our wonderful Patreon members? I, of course, how could I forget? Right. So we had a, a waffly question from somebody who had, like, a back problems, remember? Yeah, wanted tips on on how yeah. to deal with the back trouble. And I said something along the lines of, you know, I've never really had any uh, any problems with my back. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. The universe heard me and fucked me. Oh, there's, mm. the, there's the lawnmower guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The universe is conspiring on all fronts. It really What do you mean? Is. What happened to your back? So I was playing golf on Friday. Yeah. And walking up the 17th, I was like, oh, my back is a bit sore. It's not great. But I figured because I haven't played for a little while and the ground was a bit splodgy and heavy because of the rain and all that kind of stuff, I figured it's just that kind of normal pain in your back that you get when you've been walking for a bit, you know, and you need Mm -hmm. to sit down. And uh, on the 18th tee, I was like, oh, this is actually, ooh, I don't know if I can actually stand upright. This is not great. However, heroically heroically i played the 18th perfectly drive down the middle five wood to the middle of the green about 12 foot from the hole over water brilliant shot despite the fact that i had this pain in my back and uh finished with a you know a very good round the first time i ever shot under 80 i got a 79 very very happy with all that it all sounds good i don't know what any of it means but it sounds good does and Friday afternoon, my back is like, ah, this is not great. Saturday, even worse. Yesterday, worse again. And my back is fucking killing me. I've been necking Salpadine all weekend long. Can you move? Are you mobile? I'm sort of, yeah, but it's one of those where if I sort of move the wrong way, I feel like my back is going to give out. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of golf. I guess you're carrying those clubs around. No. I was going to say, it doesn't occur to me that... That's a sport where you're, you're likely to do your back. Well, I mean, you're, you're swiveling and moving. And actually, I wasn't carrying my bag. I've got like a trolley, so you just push your trolley and stuff. But I didn't do anything specific. You know the way sometimes when you hurt yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, I felt something twang there or, yeah. you know, whatever. I didn't – it was just like, ah, this is a little bit sore now, and then it's just got progressively worse. So I've got to go to the physio today at 3.30, and hopefully they can uh, – they can do something for it. I don't know, but painkilling uh, injections play through the pain, Andrew. I don't know that you can get those from a physio. <laughs> Depends whose physio it is. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean that's uh, maybe they'll dry needle with you. Have you ever been dry needled? I have not. Is that like acupuncture? 
Yeah, kind of. Right. It's the same principle. They put a, a dry needle into your muscle uh, to stop it spasming. And it's very effective. Right. But, yeah, I don't, I don't fully understand the science, but I've had it done to me a few times, and it's quite fun. Which particular muscles do you mind me asking? I'm afraid I can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, back, back stuff, back, hips. Yeah. All that, you know, I've entered the age bracket now where that's just sort of an occupational mm. hazard. Um, and I'm not even golf swinging. No, you're not. Uh, you're so, not. Uh, well, I, we all wish you well, Andrew. Thank you. I suppose it's my own fault for saying I've never really had any problems with my back. Good I time, you know, international break. If you're going to have an injury... This is the time for it. Well, I suppose. I, I should Don't have go away with your country. Yeah. Stay at home. I should have learned, though, because I remember many, 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 many years ago feeling like I didn't want to go to school one day. You know, you have one those days? You're like, oh, most days. For I, me, don't yeah. want, I don't want to go to school. So I told my mother I've, I had a terrible earache, which I didn't. And she bought the lie. Mm-hmm. Not sure how convinced she was, but she bought the lie. By that afternoon, I was in agony with a terrible, terrible earache. So the universe, wow. the universe, you know, universe. does not like me um, saying I've, you know, various afflictions and what have you when I don't. So yeah, too cocky. You were too cocky yeah. about the back, and there you go. It's caught you. Mm -hmm. well, well, other than that, Andrew, other setting than that. that aside, which is difficult, I know with back. Mm -hmm. You're other, okay. Other than that, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, what about you? Has, has the interlobe be tr uh, been treating you? It's good. It's about to get better. I, I head off today for a few days uh, away in the new forest. Um, look, it must be the opening, I imagine, of this forest. I've been to a few old forests in yeah. my time, but I'm intrigued to see what a modern forest has going for it. You know. I mean, Electric the trees, trees. They're, they're going to be tiny, aren't they? If it's a new forest, the trees are just going to be like saplings yeah. everywhere. Like little knee-high trees. Um, so, yeah, maybe it won't be all it's, all it's cracked up to be. I don't what? know, but, yeah, I'm off for a few days. Uh, where Where is this new forest? It's on in the south of England. Right. Southeast. Um, it's, it's actually a very nice area, if you ever fancy it. But... Uh, yeah, I'm going there for a few days to just sort of chill out. Okay. Uh, Interlows for ever so quiet, really, on, an, on, the, on the Arsenal front. Yes, extremely, extremely quiet. Um, I mean, well, well, well. Go on. There was an extraordinary result at under-16 level. Have you seen this? I did see that, yes. For, what was the final score? 14-3? Was that? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Arsenal beat Liverpool... Uh, under 16s, 14-3, I believe. Chido Obi Martin scoring 10 of the goals. Get him in the fucking team. Just get it. it doesn't He can do it. If he can score 10 against Liverpool at 16, he can easily do, what, four against real Liverpool? He has trained <laughs> with the first team squad uh, on a few occasions. Very, I mean, so what we should explain is that as far as I understand it, Liverpool did not have a substitute goalkeeper on their bench and had to replace their goalkeeper very early in the game. Right. Seemingly with someone from like the under nines. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if you've watched the highlights, but uh, it's a festival of bad goalkeeping. I, I did feel quite sorry for the lad by the end. Um, no mercy. 
no still mercy. no mer- mercy from <laughs> no. Cheeto Obi Martin, who yeah got into double figures in a single game. That's amazing, isn't it? Ten goals in one game. I know it's uh, under sixteens and what have you, but still. I mean, he to be fair has also been playing up the levels. You know, I saw him play for the under nineteens. Uh, I think he might even have been with the under-21 squad at one point this season. But right. He's, 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 as 15-year-olds go, he's quite a mature 15-year-old. He's about six foot tall, this guy. Right. Ready and quite um, filled out. So he's not been playing a great deal with the under-16s. And then he did play against uh, some sort of toddler in the Liverpool goal. <laughs> and it wasn't quite a fair fight. But... Enjoyable, all the same. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Yeah, what a what a performance from him. And you know, and to be fair, we had a 13 year old in the team who scored a couple of goals, and it's quite well thought of. His name, for, I, I forget his name just now, but maybe that's for the best. I always right. get so wary of hyping a 13 year old footballer. Yeah, probably probably best to relax just a little bit let them develop but obviously uh cheeto obi martin is the uh, yeah. the second coming of 15 year olds are fine yeah 15 is good um, once they get to 15 they're destined for greatness the gloves are off in terms of protecting <laughs> them from from anything um yeah i mean there hasn't been much going on like even the international games have been pretty low-key haven't they because there's mostly a lot of friendlies last week I think uh, you say that. Well, there was qualifiers as well, but you know, England, for example, did not start with any of their Arsenal trio of mm. Aaron Ramsdale, Bukayo Saka, and uh, Declan Rice. Probably uh, waiting for tonight to play them in a game that doesn't matter because England have or- already won the group by a considerable margin. So that's when you cool. use Bukayo Saka and Declan closer Rice, to the yeah. restart of the Premier League. Yeah. Really. Uh, Declan Rice did come on and score a lovely goal, which was disallowed. Um, Seemed harsh. It home from the edge of the box. It was a bit harsh, but it, technically it was Harry Kane that was ruled against for being offside. So right. you can't really be too annoyed about any sort of judgment that goes against Harry Kane. Booked for diving in the game. <laughs> what? Yeah, really? At is Wembley this, Stadium. Is this real life? I know. What? Uh, now that he doesn't play in the Premier League, the, the rules uh, around him don't apply to quite the same degree. Ah. He was booked for uh, trying to buy a penalty, basically leaving a, a trailing leg. You know when you go around the goalie, but you sort of hang your foot out for the goalie to catch yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time they're giving us penalties, and I, I can understand why, but this ref wasn't having it. Good. About Where time. Where was he when we needed him? That referee. Yeah, all those years of Harry Kane doing exactly that time and time again in the Premier League. Um, but yes, other than that, I mean, Kai Havertz mm. played at left-back for Germany. That seems to me to have been the most intriguing Arsenal story of the international break so far. Yes. We had a question on the Discord from Fleds who says, who needs Timber at left-back when you've got Kai Havertz? Well, he scored uh, within five minutes, didn't he, of, yeah. of the game kicking off. Um, which means he now has more open play goals as a left-back for Germany than he does in any position for Arsenal this season. But, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, listen, I don't know what's happened there. I I saw that and was like, stop giving Mikel Arteta ideas, right? (laughs) I did see that um, um, Julian, is it Nagelsmann or Nagelsmann or, I don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah. But that guy. Uh, apparently really? said that this really? is this is like may not be a one-off 
this might be something they do again. Well, who, they were playing someone. I don't want to be disrespectful now, but someone they were expected to win. Georgia, was it? Was it Georgia? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, somewhere they were expected to win. Oh no, it was Turkey. Turkey. Oh yeah, they got beaten as well, and they lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. I don't know. Maybe it should be a one-off. They've got beat 3-2. Um, well, yeah, here's the quote from uh, Get Football News Germany. And he says, um, Kai said he wanted to do it. He wanted to try it. I don't see this as a risk for him, but as a very, very big opportunity to play a key role at the Euros. For the first time in an unfamiliar position, he did extremely well and was probably our best player. I don't know what to make of this, Andrew. I don't either. I, you know, we, we've all had conversations and discussions and debates and all the rest about Kai Havertz, but the the sort of pivot to left back thing was not something I had envisaged. <laughs> yeah, we, we had enough debate in the summer about whether he would play in midfield. Yeah, left back is something uh, we never saw coming. Uh, if, listen, I know it's an evolving role. And these fullbacks do all sorts of interesting things these days. Just mm. look at Zinchenko or, or Tomiyasu. Um, but yeah, I was quite surprised by that. Mm. I don't think we'll see it for Arsenal, but who knows? I, you know, I, I would be very, very surprised, but not like completely shocked if it happened yeah. at some point. Just I mean, because... he's just proving himself to be a Granite Shaka replacement. You know, he's like mm. the next step in me replacing Granit Xhaka, is to show that I can play left-back. Um, so, hey, congrats to Kai on his goal. Yes. Are Germany playing again? Do they have another game today or tomorrow or anything? Let yeah, me have I a would look. think so. They've got Austria tomorrow in a friendly. Right. So it might be another opportunity. Where will Kai want to play this week? In goal, perhaps? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Sweeper-keeper. He's got the height. You can play anywhere, uh, this guy. Anywhere. I mean, that's what Nagelsmann sort of said, isn't it? He kind of beefed up his tactical intelligence, said he's a very smart player. Mm. You know, there's a lot of positions on the field he can fill. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe we're all just looking at him wrong. Yeah, that could be it. <laughs> it could be. It could be, all right. Um, what else has been going on? Well... Mikel Arteta got charged by the yeah. FA for his uh, for his comments. Mikel Arteta has been charged with a breach of FA rule E point E three point one. It is alleged that his comments constitute misconduct as they are insulting towards match officials and or detrimental to the game and or bring the game into disrepute. Mikel Arteta oh, no. has until Tuesday, 21st of November, to provide a response to this charge. Mm. Yes, tomorrow he must respond. Poop emoji? Uh, do what Twitter do now. Whenever you email the Twitter press office, apparently it just auto-responds with a poop emoji, which, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's obviously one of the uh, the um, the ways that Elon Musk has, you know, streamlined and made Twitter more efficient, you know. It's one of the few ways in which I'd say he's maybe improved it. Um, I quite like that. Arsenal should introduce that kind of out-of-office poop emoji that just returns every time the FA or the Premier League send them anything. <laughs> Not uh, a surprise, though, really, is it? Because uh, 
you know, I think after what happened in the week with the, the Howard Webb TV show and all the rest of it, it felt like that was in some ways laying the groundwork for the charge to be uh, laid at the door of Mikel Arteta. I wish it was called the Howard Webb TV show. And like at the start of the sh- show, he comes out in like a spangly jacket. Like Morecambe like, and Wise does it dance. Yeah, exactly. Here and Michael Owen do yeah. like a song and dance routine uh, before they... Um, kind of uh, whitewashed the VAR <laughs> heiress from the weekend. Howard and Mickey on the TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, I guess that charge was inevitable. I felt like Arsenal's statement was almost in anticipation of a charge and kind of a statement of their mm. position back in their manager. Um, I don't know what we'll get. 10-point reduction? <laughs> I would be... Not at all surprised if there was a touchline ban for Mikel Arteta from this one. Like, I don't think what he said merits anything more than a fine, you know, and I'm I'm keeping a close eye on whether or not anything happens to Roberto De Zerbi after wow. his I comments. Mean, yeah. You know, nothing, nothing appears to have been said. Um, how long does it take the FA to to draft a, a charge letter for somebody who says they don't like 80% of the referees or their behavior, which seems to me, you know, a bit more serious than Mikel Arteta moaning or griping about a a decision, which I think most right-minded people would say was wrong, you know, with the goal and the push and all the rest of it. For those who haven't heard it, Deserby said, I am honest and clear, I don't like 80% of English referees. It's not a new thing. I don't like them. Mm. Asked to clarify, he said, the behaviour. I don't like their behaviour on the beach. Yeah. It's not going to be good for him. I mean, we all agree. (laughs) Yeah, we do. But it is an extraordinary thing for a manager to say. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So, yeah, there might be one or two bands being handed out. You'd like to think so anyway. I mean, I suppose the big football news is Everton. Yes. um, Which Mm. I have sort of been watching. You know, it's difficult to not think of uh, what might have been for Arsenal. You know, uh, essentially uh, the Everton owner uh, was Farhad Mashiri, who in conjunction with Alisher Usmanov at one time had himself a a decent stake in Arsenal. Mm. Wanted a bigger stake. He certainly did. Wanted the whole pie. Mm. Um, He likes pie. And that's not... Panned out great for Everton, let's say. No, no, a slight bullet dodged there, it has to be said. But what do you make of the punishment that's been handed out to Everton? Because, you know, I'm not a finance guy, and I know you're not really a finance guy. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You're a word That's for me to say, Andrew. Sorry, sorry. There speaks a man who's read my breakdowns of Arsenal's financial results. Yeah. Yes, Arsenal done a profit again this year, and it, but it was a smaller profit than before. Mm. That's well, sort of my level of analysis. Yeah, exactly. I'm sort of like that too. Anything where the the, the jargon becomes in any way technical, I'm like, oh, fucking chicken out. Guys, go to Swiss Ramble. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's it. He's the guy who knows how to do it and knows what it all means. You yeah. know? But I, I don't. So I don't well, really one of the know. guys. There's about three guys. They're all called Kieran as well, I think. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know what that means. But, yeah, what do I think of it? Well, well, just from the point of view that, like, okay, they obviously did something outside the rules. 
I think they breached their FFP losses by 19 million pounds over the course of three years. Is that right? Something like that. Something Essentially, like Essentially, the Premier League clubs are granted a uh, healthy, um, not healthy, that's not the word, a significant amount of money that they are allowed to lose. Mm. Everton lost in excess of that amount. Yes. By, yeah, 15 or 20 million, depending on who. Right. So that, that apparently is worth a 10-point deduction. And it seems to me that a very serious precedent has been set because, you know, what is 15 or, you know, 20 million pounds Mm -hmm. over the course? I mean, it's like if you were to slice Kai Havertz into three bits, it's just one of those bits, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's what should happen. I'm just saying that that is (laughs) financially. That could be taken out of context. Yeah, it could be. I mean, yeah. At Ars blog suggests Arsenal slice Kai Havertz into three bits. <laughs> but, you know, this is my, uh, you know, the, the Swiss Ramble and these guys, you know, they can get into it with their, you know, numbers and facts and spreadsheets sure. and balance sheets and all that. But, you know, this is how I deal with financial stuff, you know, the okay. slicing of human beings into various bits. But, I mean, that's what it is. It's 20 million. So that's worth 10 points. And we obviously are looking at other clubs, right? Mm -hmm. And wondering, well, will the same vigor be applied to their financial, what's the word I'm looking for here without getting myself in trouble, alleged financial dodginess? Is that okay? I think that's okay. I think so. I mean, essentially the Premier League... It relates to one season, just double-checking, the the 21-22 season, but the Premier League have concluded that Everton have cheated here Mm. um, by essentially speculating uh, to improve their on-pitch performance and pay for an off-field stadium, Um, speculating to an unreasonable degree and therefore losing a lot of money. And let's be clear, losing more than £100 million is not a healthy thing for any football club, no. whatever the context. That's, uh, that's you'd have to get two Kai Havertzes, stick them together, <laughs> and then <laughs> cut off 25% of one of the of the double Havertz. Just the right leg, I guess, <laughs> off one. He doesn't use it, as far as I can see. He scored, did he not score his goal at the weekend with his right foot? Oh, no? so sorry. So sorry, Sakai and, and everybody else. Um, so I think this is fascinating, to be honest. I mean, part of me thinks that the Premier League are being quite heavy-handed and putting quite a harsh um, punishment on Everton for two reasons. One being they suspect it might be uh, redressed slightly on appeal. And the other is that they're trying to avoid legislation about Governance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to run themselves, essentially. So in order to run themselves, they have to make these sort of big gestures that say, oh, no, 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 like this is a a properly... We can do it. Yeah, we we know how to be grown-ups. You know, just as they threw 115 charges uh, at Man City, just at the time when, you know, the issue of football governance was being discussed... Parliament. So, mm. 
I think there's a bit of politics here. I have to say, I, I, I have some sympathy for Everton, who will feel like, in the scheme of things, their transgression is not so bad. I mean, the, the allegation that's been aimed at Man City is effectively that they have misled the Premier League. Whereas Everton have tried, seemingly, to be quite open mm. about their books. Um, you know, they did change their plea. At one point they were saying they weren't guilty and we've actually only lost this. And then about 10 days before the actual hearing, they were like, okay, okay, we lost this, we're guilty. Um, give us a lenient punishment. But um, they have essentially opened their books up to the Premier League. And they, they've... N- their argument, and it's debatable, is that they haven't sort of expressly lied or tried to cover up more that they've been a victim of circumstance in that they didn't anticipate revenue dropping, say, for example, due to COVID or the subsequent effect on the transfer market, not being mm. able to sell players at the level they did before. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I have some, I, I, they won't be the only club who's done that in the Premier League. Um, it's just the degree. Obviously, what Man City are alleged to have done is very different because it is a much more uh, conscious attempt to break the rules. Everton have basically broken the rules by not making enough money. Mm. But uh, they can argue that they didn't realise they wouldn't. It, it's, yeah. yeah. If City have done what is alleged then it's sort of a much more deliberate thing. For sure, for sure. I mean, I think if you're going to ask anybody, ask any football fan, which club do you think is going to run foul of financial fair play rules or, you know, is going to be up to no good when it comes to finances? I don't think Everton would have been anywhere near the top. You know, Man City, of course, we understand that when you when you have that kind of ownership – you know, there are ways and means of boosting your, oh, look, we've got the biggest commercial income of any football club in the world all of a sudden. Hmm. How did yeah. that happen? Chelsea, of course, are being investigated as well. I think Chelsea reported, did they, the new owners reported issues that they had discovered going back apparently, you know, um, as far as 2012 to do with payments that breach FFP rules, payments to agents. There was a good piece in The Guardian at the weekend about third-party ownership of players and Mm -hmm. um, a particular agent and Roman Abramovich and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we all all know what Abramovich did at Chelsea and how Chelsea were able to be as successful as they were. Just vast resources. But if in providing those vast uh, resources to Chelsea in order to buy players and build a squad and all the rest of it. You know, the, if the rules have been broken, then it is, it's cheating, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that like, if a particular football club was a very, very good, let's say you've got an amazing football team, right? And they're all technically brilliant players 
but they put in place a a practice or a, you know a doping let's call it doping where these players could run faster and press higher and be more energetic and have more energy and that you know on top of their already fantastic technical ability helped them dominate football you know if people found that out and there was incontrovertible proof to that then you know there'd be no question that that football team would be punished and Arsene Wenger called it financial doping, and that's kind of what we're on about here when it comes to, you know, to Chelsea in the past, and also maybe Manchester City in the present. If if those charges are 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 proven, I, I thought a very interesting aspect of this. Did you see the stuff about Eden Hazard that came out over the last couple of days? I actually didn't know. Basically. Eden Hazard wanted to join Arsenal. This is what his agent says. His agent said he really wanted to join Arsenal. Arsenal, as we know, were very interested in him. He wanted to join Arsenal. His dad wanted him to join Arsenal. His agent made an executive decision. No, you're not going to join Arsenal. You're going to join Chelsea, you know, from a footballing perspective. Uh, maybe that was the right thing to do, you know? He won a lot of things and became a very good player and all the rest of it. But I suppose, you know, uh, the question of whether or not an agent is incentivized to make a decision on behalf of a player via payments that Chelsea are possibly being investigated for, you know, that raises questions about not just what the money can do for you as Chelsea, but what the impact is on other clubs, right? So you can't get Hazard because Hazard, it has been decided, it has been arranged that Hazard will go and join Chelsea. Well, you I know, mean, I'm just reading about it now. The Times allege mm. that there was a seven million euro payment from well, a, a company owned by Roman Abramovich to this agent. Yeah. There you go. You know, and people will say, well, you know, uh, you got to look after your own shit and all the rest of it, which is fine. But if, if you're trying to compete in that marketplace for players, it doesn't just boost Chelsea to get Eden Hazard. It obviously diminishes Arsenal not to be able to get him, you know? And there were probably plenty of deals and things like that down the years where, um, you know, the money, if you follow the money trail, perhaps the decision-making becomes a little more obvious. Yeah, yeah. Juan Mata maybe would be another. There's a, there's a few... Mm. I think, obviously, what this does is it sort of opens Pandora's box slightly, doesn't it? Because, you know, yeah. Everton have been punished belatedly for a season that has been and gone in which other teams were relegated. Um, yeah, there's, there's talk of legal action from Leeds, from Leicester, yeah. from Burnley and maybe Southampton as well. I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be legal action. But, because, I mean, yeah. You know, there, there's... Just as there was when, uh, was it West Ham stayed up with Javier Mascherano and, and Carlos Tevez in the team and they were found to be in breach of third-party rules. Yeah. Um, what was that, Sheffield United, I think? Was yeah, it Sheffield United? again. I'm, I'm not sure, but there was a big sort of legal fallout from that and I think we'll see that again uh, here. Um, can of worms, though, right? Pandora's box sort of, of stuff. Worms. Because yeah. if if something happens, and I know it's a big if, and I realise that, that Everton's, you know, one 
issue situation is is a lot less complex than Manchester City's 115 charges and all the rest of it. And the thing, of course, about um, financial stuff, as we have demonstrated very clearly, is that it is really complicated, you know? Uh, there are people who know a lot about finances and know their way around things and loopholes and all that kind of stuff. So you need, like, a really forensic eye to unpack, let's say, 115 charges. But if something were to happen at the top, where do you go from there? Like, what do Liverpool do, for example, the years that they finished... Second, what about the clubs who missed out on Champions League qualification? What about the clubs who missed out on Europe altogether? At what point does your uh, legitimacy to take a case against a club that has been proven, again, if it's proven, but if they've proved to have cheated, where does it stop? It's really hard to say. And I think one of the issues here is timing. I mean, mm. it does feel odd that Everton have kind of had this punishment meted out while we had, while we're still waiting for anything approaching a kind of hearing on Manchester City. Um, I know that the amount of charges and the amount of resource that they'll put into that legal fight makes that difficult, but it does feel odd. And I think the Premier League have sort of resolved. I'm not sure whether this has been privately or publicly, but I think they have resolved to try and deal with these things quicker so that at least the punishments affect the appropriate season mm. rather than being after the fact. But I slightly fear that that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, we, had a, we had a little question here. Uh, there's a hypothetical from Stevie B, who's at... Uh, annihilate now on Twitter and he says in light of the sanction against Everton if retrospective sanctions were applied to Chelsea and City would you be happy taking a title for last year if it also meant Spurs got one for the 16-17 season (laughs) Uh, that's a conundrum isn't it no not at all no you take it oh no 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't. Oh right, yeah, that's where I would be going as well. I'd say absolutely not. You know, you you can I think you could if if the situation merited it, I think you could just wipe out the winners of the Premier League. So it's basically nobody won it that year. You right. can't just give it to the second place team like, you know, it would be just so so empty, wouldn't it? Like soulless if, win. Yeah. It would be just like, well, what's the fucking point of that? I don't want that. I wouldn't want that. You know, you want to win it, not be handed it because, you know, the the team above you cheated. If they cheated, punish them by all means. Absolutely punish them to the full extent of, of uh, the law. That's not w- uh, what I'm looking for. What's um, within the rules, you know, whatever whatever punishment has to be meted out, meted out, but don't retrospectively, you know, crown Liverpool champions or Arsenal champions and certainly do not crown Tottenham champions ever, ever, ever. Um, That's a good rule, I think. That should be one of the Premier League rules, to be honest. Do do not Uh, crown Tottenham champions ever. Do not crown Tottenham champions. Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. And we had this debate a bit last towards the end of last season when the charges, news of those first broke. But, you know, would it feel odd to win the league in a season where Man City have been... Deducted. Well, see, I think that's different. I think that's slightly different. If last season season City had been docked 10 points or 15 points or whatever it was, that's their tough shit. You know, we still have to finish above 
19 other teams or 18 other teams to win the title, that would be different. But just sort of handing it, you know, taking the trophy off Man City and just scrubbing their name off it and, you know, etching in Arsenal, you know, nah, that doesn't work. That wouldn't work yeah. for me. Yeah. And the other thing I forgot to mention about sort of Everton's situation is obviously they were hugely impacted by the kind of geopolitical landscape in terms of the war between Russia and Ukraine and mm. the sanctions on oligarchs, which I do think raises sort of some interesting ethical questions for the league about sort of what money is, is okay and what money is not okay. <laughs> they they, they you know? don't care. They don't care. They never, they've never cared. You know, you just have to look at the way the ownership of, of football clubs has gone. You know, they can pay lip service to well, the proper owner test. What's it called? Yeah. Fit and proper persons test or whatever it is. But come on, they don't give a fuck. Really. No, but in this instance, obviously, they were kind of compelled to act by well, well yeah, an outside force. Um, I, I don't know. It's a fascinating one. I suspect they'll get it reduced on appeal. Um, but I think some sort of point deduction will be upheld. One thing I'd say for Everton is if there is ever a season in mm. which, you know, to get a point deduction, I think it's this one. I think there are some really weak teams in the yeah. league. Uh, and I actually think it's pretty survivable for them this year. I agree. Famous last words, but I agree. I so. What about um what about our boy Edu? He got an award. He he's one special boy of the year. Or special something? boy at the golden, not sh but golden boy awards. Yes, the, <laughs> he was the most special boy. He was given a golden shower by the golden boys. Um, yeah, he. I think his. I think the official title of the award was something like best European manager, twenty twenty three. Yeah. Uh, so Michael Arteta was presumably annoyed. <laughs> I, I, yeah i guess it's in recognition of his work as a sporting director mm. um i don't know who votes but uh listen congratulations to edu yeah well he, he's, he's already had his promotion hasn't he from technical director to sporting director yeah um so he's standing at arsenal's pretty healthy but yeah something to put on the wall isn't it sure i'm just trying to see who is there any insight into uh who votes? I think it's journalists, actually. Board. Uh, I can't be arsed. I just had a quick look at their website, and now it's just like, ah, oh, fuck. I can't be bothered. But good for Edu, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, he has had good couple of years, um, on, certainly on the incomings front. Mm-hmm. Certainly on the incoming front. And the retention front. I mean, Arsenal have signed yeah. a lot of new contracts with a lot of big stars. Not winning um, any awards for his fucking sales techniques, though. That's not as sure. yet. No, no. no. Um, the Golden Salesman Awards, he's not winning that. But interesting, I suppose, that he would win in spite of that. Maybe that suggests that, you know, that it's, a, it's a wider problem. I think it is a wider problem, certainly in English football. Mm. Um but yeah, I think the the really the the really good part of this job. I know that we've made big signings, and I know a lot of them have done well. But I think tying down the likes of Martinelli, Saka, Saliba to new contracts, mm. I think that's particularly big, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I mean, keeping those um, keeping those players is is hugely important, particularly as there were maybe one or two where we were worried about whether or not they were going to be able to, um, we were going to be able to hang on to them. But yeah, um, we've done that. Um, 
don't think there's much else from an Arsenal perspective going on. No, the women won last night. They did, night. 3-0, yeah. Uh, and I was, was it three in the end? Well, well. 3-0. That'll teach me for turning off early. Um, and I, was, there was an interesting tweet I saw about the away fans, which I oh, thought yeah? was quite cool, about them sort of being a developing away culture in the W. So it was Flo Lloyd Hughes who said, respect the Arsenal away crew. They've been non-stop with the noise today. We need the away day culture, and I'm so happy it's been elevated, especially through specific te- ticket sales and sections across the league this season. So That is cool. Hats off to all the Arsenal fans who, who went down to Brighton for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got such a a strong following now, you know, and the the profile of the team is such that, uh, you know, it sort of snowballs in a way, you know, mm-hmm. that the more people see it, the more people will want to get involved and all the rest of it. So, yeah, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. And actually I the season is... a lot of is... eyes on those games during international breaks um, mm. as well. You know, I know it was on telly and I think with, without the men's game, I think probably even more people tuning in, which is good. It'll only grow the audience moving forward, I think. Yeah, and this, the start of the season appears to have... Um, uh, steadied, you know, evened out. Yeah, evened yeah. out. Is that what five wins in a row now, something like that? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I think and Beth Mead making her first start for a year, so yeah, that's good. That it's is all looking good. good. All right. Well, look, will we park part one and see what we can do in terms of questions and stuff uh, after the break? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, we will be back with your questions and more in part two, right after this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Randomly, I met an ArsBlog Patreon member yesterday. Mm-hmm. He is called Stevie. He was over from London, I assume, for a weekend in Dublin. I was in a bar for an afternoon pint with my wife and... He was there and saw me and came up and said, you know what I'm going to say, right? I was like, yeah, kind of. And then he said, thanks very much. Read the site all the time. Um, Patreon member, all the rest of it. So he was floating around Dublin yesterday. So hello to him. Did he say say hi to James or anything? He he didn't. No, he didn't. Mm. He can't be a big fan then. (laughs) (laughs) When, when, uh, When he left, there was a man sitting next to me 
and he yeah. turned around to me and he said, uh, you're obviously someone famous, but I have no idea who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to what explain. I had to explain. I mean, it's a very niche thing, I said. You know, it's a, quite a specific niche. And so I had to explain the whole what Arsblog was. And he was like, Arsblog, oh, Jesus, Jesus. And that's a thing, is it? Like it is, yeah. <laughs> it is now a thing. It is a thing. So there you go. Anyway, um, do you want to do a question first or will I? Let's do this. Let's do this. I will do a question. Okay. Um, but what will it be? We had a couple of questions about your friend of mine, Jorginho. Okay. So on the Discord, Philosoraptor, uh, great name says, goodly morning. Jorginho talked a bit about his future while on international duty. How would you feel about extending his contract? I think he's been perfectly serviceable and a good elder statesman to have in the squad. And Big Gabby's teeth um, <laughs> shone through on Twitter with this question saying, why do fans write off Jorginho as being too old to play regularly for us? He's only soon to be 32, Players in his position are all about experience and often play into their mid-30s. I'm not saying build the squad around him. He'll surely be useful for a while yet. I mean, I have to say, of all the players we've brought in from Chelsea, he's kind of, not my favourite, but I think he is the one that's done best, perhaps. Really? Better than Luis? Yeah, he was a joke. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say I'll be more diplomatic and say he had good days and bad days. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. Jorginho's been steady. I think he's a good player. You know, he's he's not a physical player really, but I do think he has been pretty decent. I I just what do I think? Like, should was the question? Should we offer him a new deal or? What? Yeah, or do we extend his contract? We've got an or option, we haven't we? It runs out in the summer. I think he spoke last week about wanting to return to Italy at some point. Mm. He was back with the Italy squad. Um, missed a penalty, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently he's missed his last four penalties for Italy. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. I remember it missing in the in the Euros final, of course, in the shootout. But, mm. uh didn't matter in the end, sadly. Um I, yeah, I guess, you know, we've got an option to extend him by a further 12 months. Would you do it? I mean, it depends what else goes on in midfield. Like, I think as a player who gives you squad depth and what have you, it's, you know, he, he's a he's a good option in that regard. I just wonder how much of what we're going to do in midfield will depend on, A, what's going to happen with Thomas Partey, and B, be what the sort of long-term or medium-long-term plan for Declan Rice is. Like, is Declan Rice going to be the six, you know, from next season onwards? Is is that where he's going to play? That means, of course, we've got to solve the infamous left-eight conundrum, which we don't Especially appear... Especially now with Havertz as a left-back. Yeah, that's it, you know, in uh, extroverting left-back. What sort of a left-back <laughs> is he going to be? I don't know. I think we probably do need to pay some attention to the age profile of our central midfielders because, you know, Jorginho 30 plus, Elneny 30 plus, Partey 30, uh, there thereabouts, and injury prone at this point. 
So I think we probably do need to bring in somebody more useful in that position. But as a kind of squad option, I wouldn't be unhappy if we kept Jorginho for another year, you know, assuming that we do bring in that younger player. Yeah, I suppose what's interesting about it will be the timing. I'm not speaking from a position of knowledge about this, as usual. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's possible that Arsenal have a date by which they have to trigger that extension. Uh, And it wouldn't be Mm. unheard of for that to be the turn of the year. Uh, Certainly in some previous Arsenal contracts, that's been the date at which Arsenal have had to notify a player if if they intend Mm. to take up the option. So, you know, that that would be pre-January, pre-summer window um, and sort of mean you're in a position where you're having to make decisions without necessarily knowing how things are going to go in the market and elsewhere. Um, Perhaps not, you know, because he signed relatively recently um, Jorginho, it's mm. possible that they they gave themselves longer to trigger that extension, but uh, we'll have to try and find out. But yeah, it's uh, I, I kind of feel like I don't see Thomas Partey and Jorginho being in the squad next season. I think um, I think it's an either or for sure. Yeah, and I think the trouble with Thomas Partey is I don't think he's an easy player to move necessarily. Um, you know, I think Arsenal would have been open to moving him this summer for the right price or if there'd been an appropriate buyer somewhere he wanted to go. But I think for lots of reasons that deal didn't happen. Um, Do you think you know, it I've would be the- less complicated n- next summer? Maybe just because Arsenal's demands might be lower. Yeah, lower. Um, what did you think? I don't know. What do you think about it? Like I've seen a, a few stories, and you can kind of dismiss them as scuttlebutt or whatever from uh, various sections of the the Italian press, but like Partey, you know, reportedly unhappy with the amount of playing time he's getting at Arsenal or not getting at Arsenal, you know, which um, ignores the fact that he can't fucking play. Because well, I injured. think I was about to say, him and me both. Um, I think we can all agree on that. I, I mean, look, I think the writing's on the wall for Thomas Partey because... I do think that Declan Rice in the long term will play in that deeper position. Mm. I think, you know, a player we haven't mentioned, by the way, is Mohamed Elneny, who's another ageing player, relatively little time to go on his contract, operates in that position at the base of midfield. I kind of think only one from those three, Partey, Elneny, Jorginho, ought to be with the squad next season. I think we should be looking to rejuvenate that part of the Exactly. Pitch. Exactly. And I think the one, you know, El Nenny, lovely guy and all the rest of it, but I think, you know, would probably need to go somewhere else to play regular football. If he's going to play, you know, another couple of seasons, you know, he will have to make a sideways or, or downward step in order to play on a regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. Jorginho, I think, at least is reliable in terms of injury and all the rest of it. I think, you know, pound for pound, if it was just player versus player, you would say Partey would be the one to to pick, but I don't know how you could do that with any confidence based on the injury problems he's had uh, and is continuing to have, you know? So uh, if Arsenal could cash in a bit on Partey, use that money to rejuvenate, as you say, and keep Jorginho as a, as a squad option, I'd be all right with that, to be honest. But ag- again, maybe 
this is something we need to do in January more than next summer. Maybe. Um, if you don't mind, I had a question sure. about that. So this is from North Banks on Twitter, and they say, lots of chat about whether we should loan or buy a winger or a midfielder in January. But it seems to me that with Partey and Tommy potentially going for AFCON and Asia Cup, that we're lacking that uh, centre-back, right-sided centre-back or right-back option if White gets injured. Mm. Surely that's where the cover is most needed until Jurian Timber is back. Yeah. I mean, that is a predicament, to be honest, because of, you know, we have cover because of Tommy Asu's versatility and ability, you know, left back, right back, center half. He can play all of those positions. How long he's going to be away for could could be a bit of a problem, particularly if Ben White has got an injury issue at the moment. Michael Arteta talked about that, didn't he? And um, yeah. talked about how they basically sat him down for, was it the Burnley game? They said... Uh, yeah, the ones before the break, yeah. You know, you've got a problem, you need to, to sort this out. You know, if Ben White gets injured when Tommy Asu is away, I mean, we're in Cedric territory. Well, you know what's interesting is that Mikel Arteta will seemingly play all sorts of people at left back. <laughs> but uh, he's always been a bit more reticent. Uh, at right back I mean Cedric um, wasn't even in the squad for the um, for the Burnley game now whether he was injured or not I don't know but it was was Rule Walters on the bench yeah and I have to say from the little bits and pieces I've seen of Rule Walters I have really liked the look of him I do think you know he's, he, he looks like a very stylish player mm. and he's he, he's really filled out and developed physically um I don't know if he's seen more in the long term as a centre-half, but oftentimes, you know, young centre-halves make their breakthroughs, don't they, as as full-backs. Um, mm. you know, there's just a bit more opportunity. I don't know if managers feel sometimes you can, or used to feel maybe, that you could kind of hide a player in that position or, or, or protect them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I would sort of say, looking at January and thinking the fact that Tommy Asu is going to come back uh, hopefully sooner rather than later from the Asia Cup. Um, Timber has been signed and is coming back and obviously will be an option that going forward. I might say, yeah, give a give a chance to someone like Raw Walters. I think I might be in that boat because, you know, if, if not now, when? Mm. I mean, that kicks off in mid-January, the Asian yeah. Cup. Japan are playing... Um, on the 14th of January against Vietnam. I don't know what the rules are or in terms of like when Tomiyasu would be called up for Japan. Is there like the two-week rule? Is it a week? You know, at what point are yeah. we going to have to do without him? I guess that's something that, um, you know, some kind of serious investigative journalist could uncover by, I don't know, asking the club. Um but, you know, it does leave a bit of a hole in the squad. We did have a question. Shots fired. Then. Yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I just look at the market and I think you don't want to really sign someone permanently necessarily because of timber. Are you going to be able to loan someone of requisite quality? You've got the FA Cup third round game at the start of January to mm. blood someone like Rule Waters. See, see I, I would do that and see how, you know, does he sink? Does he swim? How does he look at the level? Um, 
and yeah, my inclination might be to, to give him his chance. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I had a question here on the Discord from Thornley29, uh, sort of touching on a similar theme. He said, a question on the pathway for young prospects. I think a lot of fans seem fairly confident that the likes of Patino, Nuaneri, Lewis Skelly, Walters, etc. will become first team players for Arsenal. But do you actually see opportunities for these youngsters if we continue to be competing as a Champions League club going forward? I think it'd be really hard. Really hard. Mm. And 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 I think you know Charlie Patino. I know the noises are a bit more positive now, but there was a very real chance Arsenal would lose him on a permanent basis this summer, uh, and Arsenal were kind of okay with that potentially, mm. because the pathway is so difficult now. Um, and that's partly why I say you know of somebody like Waters, when you have a situation where you've got international call-ups, you've got injuries, if you don't give them their chance now, they're never going to get it. Um, it's 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 odd because Arsenal owe so much in a funny sort of way to that period a couple of years ago where they fell out of contention for the major prizes and almost I almost think that afforded them an opportunity to blood people like Kai Saka, mm-hmm. Will Smith Rowe, uh, Gabriel Martinelli, and obviously you know we're reaping the benefits of that because they're outstanding, outstanding talents. Um, but yeah, I think it is going to be hard and I don't think we can take anything for granted. Even someone like Mars Lewis Skelly or Ethan Ranieri, who's so highly thought of and wanted by loads of clubs and, you know, tearing it up at youth level. Uh, we just can't be sure. And I also think that even at those later development ages, you still have to be conscious of how something like mm, maturity and physicality can impact upon... Mm-hmm. Performance. I'm not saying that is happening necessarily with all those players, but look at the fellow we're talking about scored 10 goals for the under 16s. You know, there's a decent chance that that player's just ahead in his physical development for a lot of the guys he's playing around. Now, is he going to be able to sustain that level performance when he gets to 18, 19, 20 and everybody's catching up? Mm. So many variables, aren't there? The the sort of frimpong aspect of it, where he yeah. was able to, to just crush it at youth level because of... Yeah how physically uh, well-developed he was. And then, Jay of Emmanuel course, Thomas, I yeah. always think, you know, was yeah. just incredibly good at youth level, but never quite translated. I think there were other issues potentially there for him. But, mm. yeah, I, I don't think we can take anything for granted. Um, I mean, what and, it does probably, sorry to interrupt, but, no. but what it does probably do, like, th- there is a, you know, there, there are aspects of this that... Um, it, it could be about timing. It could be about opportunity. It could be about a gap being open within the squad for a player to come in. You know, like you could talk about these guys, but we might have a name come through in a position we don't think of because that's what the squad needs at that time. So there's a, an element of sort of randomness in that regard. But it probably means that in order to make the breakthrough at Arsenal, you have got to be super, super good, you know? That if the if the trajectory of the club continues on this way, it means that the players coming through are probably going to be the the highest possible standard, you know. And anyone who who falls a little bit below that is probably going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah, you know, pressure makes diamonds, and uh, the pressure at Arsenal right now is pretty intense. I, I think as well, you have to bear in mind that a lot of times players get opportunities. In parts of the pitch that you wouldn't anticipate, I don't think Bukayo Saka would have kind of 
followed the same trajectory, had an opportunity not come up at left back, mm. you know, which he absolutely seized. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. And, and look, I think we, where we want to get to as a club is a situation where even if players don't make it with us, we have looked after their development sufficiently mm. that we are still able to profit from it. Um, you know, I, I look at, for example, Cole Palmer uh, moves to Manchester City, so, sorry, to Chelsea rather from Manchester City. Mm. And I'm sure there are City fans who are disappointed about that and would have liked to see him stay. Um, I'm sure there are Chelsea fans who feel like they've done well to get him out of City, but mm-hmm. they did pay best part of 50 million quid or whatever it was to get him. Uh, and True. City will be filing that into their FFP calculations and feeling very good about themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I, I always come back to Joe Willock and Joe was a really good player who probably could have stayed at Arsenal and probably could have contributed in some way, shape or form. But to be honest, that money that he brought in was really valuable, a, a sort of precarious time for the club off the back of COVID and all sorts. Mm. Um and if, if you can turn your pl- young players, the ones who don't quite make the cut into assets, then I think that's really healthy. I think that's yeah. really almost should be kind of the primary focus. Can we build value in these players? And the best ones will make it at Arsenal uh, or where the opportunity is at Arsenal. Um, and the others, hopefully we can make some profit on. Mm, fingers crossed. Um, okay, let's have a look. Uh, we had a question about Gabriel Jesus. Snoona Gunner said on the Discord, Goodly Intel, old gents, how concerned should we be over Gabriel Jesus's fitness? He's expected to play a crunch match against Argentina and we know how dangerous Romero plays. Should we be worried about his involvement in the Brentford game or does the next run of fixtures allow us to be flexible in how we integrate him back into the team? I mean... It's hard not to be worried, isn't it? Because, you know, he's gone away off the back of a hamstring injury, hasn't really trained with Arsenal. To be fair, I thought the comments from the Brazil head coach were were interesting and slightly comforting, if that is the right word, when he talked about, you know, taking care of him and if he's available to play, blah, blah, blah. I think Brazil have since lost... uh, What's the fellow who plays for Real Madrid... Um, the winger, left winger. Vinicius. Yeah, I think he may be suspended or out of the Argentina game. So I think there is a sort of fairly big assumption that Jesus will now play. Right, from the Um, start. Yeah. Well, apparently he's out until February because he picked up a hamstring injury. Oh, Vinicius Jr. There you go. Yeah, I saw, basically I saw an interview with Martinelli in which he was asked about Vinicius being out for the next game. Right. And Jesus consequently being likely to play. Um, Well, look, if he's fit, if he's ready to start, if he's actually fit to start a game, I think you have to look at that as a positive thing. If he's actually fit to start a game, you have to think that's positive because, you know, we need him and getting some minutes into his legs will be important. The idea that he might get scythed down by Romero or, or some other Argentina player, I don't know that you should spend a great deal of time worrying about that because, you know, what can you do? That's not really the issue. If some, you know, if someone gets clattered in a game, 
that's a separate thing from their fitness. My worry over Jesus would be that Brazil push him before he's actually ready and that he aggravates the hamstring and, and all the rest of it. That would be my main worry, not that he's going to get fouled to kingdom come. I mean, that might might well happen and it won't be nice if it does, but I can't spend time you know, worrying about things like that. It's just about his physical readiness and whether or not he is going to be fit enough to play. Because if he is fit enough to play and he plays an hour or 70 minutes or whatever it is, um, you know, maybe he's maybe he's not going to be in contention to start against Brentford anyway because of the travel and because of, you know, the cautiousness with which the club might uh, treat him and his load, you know, based on, um, you know, the fact that he was injured before the break. Like, I would be surprised if he if he played against Brazil or played against Argentina, I'd be very surprised if he was uh, starting for Arsenal that weekend with the travel and all the rest of it, you know, and Trossard has played very well um, and is fully fit. So you've got Trossard, you've got Eddie and Keddie as well uh, as two options there to take the load off Jesus. So I'm, I'm just sort of more cautious about the idea that his hamstring is okay. Um, I guess we'll find out on, on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, congratulations to Gabriel Martinelli, by the way, on his, I think his first Brazil goal. Um, yeah, we had a question about Martinelli, actually. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, Matt Taylor, who's at AFC Matt09. Morning, gents. What do you make of Martinelli's recent interview comparing the Brazil coach to Arteta? Could Arteta allow him similar freedom? Or does the inverted left-back role, now with Kai Havertz, of course, mean he will be always required to be more disciplined for us than when he plays for Brazil? And just some quotes that were doing the rounds. Um, Martinelli saying they're different working methods, different coaches. Each one has his own way. Um, what did he say? Uh, Last game, I, I'd never played so much creative football, but I felt good. Uh, Diniz is the Brazil coach. He's been talking to me, giving me confidence. I feel comfortable playing like this. Um, you know, which some people might say, oh, is that tacit criticism of, of Arteta's methods or structures or whatever? But it might just be Martinelli saying, yeah, I can do both. Yeah, because I, I saw... Uh that question and I went back and read the transcript of the Martinelli interview and I didn't see, to be honest, there wasn't a lot of direct comparison in, in playing style within the interview. He did speak about interchanging positions quite a lot mm -hmm. um, with Brazil. And I think we spoke as recently as last week about Martinelli's discipline with Arsenal and almost unselfishness in that he really understands his role to hug the touchline and offer that width. I remember uh, Thierry Henry talking about going to Barcelona mm. and Pep Guardiola sort of screaming at him every time he wanted <laughs> into the penalty box, even though he's Thierry Henry, because yeah. he wanted him to be out there and hold the width and stretch the defence. And Martinelli does a similar job in this Arsenal team. Um, could he be afforded more freedom? I think, I think he is afforded freedom, but at the right moments. And it was encouraging against... Burnley to see him combining with Trossard a bit more. I think he combines well with Jesus too. Um, it'd just be nice to get those two on the pitch a bit more regularly, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And didn't um, didn't Martinelli talk after, what game was it? Was it the Sevilla game? 
where you, t- you t- talked about Arteta, you know, you've got to run at the defenders. You've got to you've got to really go at them. Yeah, it was a Sevilla game because he absolutely roasted that fullback, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so I, I don't think he's... I don't think there's too many restrictions on him in terms of what he can do on the ball when he gets it, you know? Um, it's just very often the kind of teams we're playing against and the way they play dictate to some extent what he can do with the ball. You know, if he's got two defenders on him all the time, there's very little he can do uh, as, as skillful as he is, you know? And to be honest, I think if he, if what he's doing at Arsenal level is earning him a starting place with Brazil, he'll feel pretty yeah. happy about that, I imagine. And it was a yeah. great goal, really, really nice goal uh, that he scored. So congratulations to him. Mm. Big game, I guess, against Argentina for that. Yeah, that's uh, that's on Wednesday. Uh, I think it's your question. Oh, I just was going to add. I, oh, yeah. Just on the sort of Jesus thing, I mean, presumably um, the sort of uh, mistrust, if there is any, that exists between Arsenal and the Brazilian camp may involve Martinelli in that oh yeah 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 he was not selected was he for the last international break um because he was supposedly injured and then in the final game before the break he came on and scored the winning goal mm. against Manchester City um i understand that that has sort of played a part in brazil wanting to look at jesus uh, you know in person i also think we shouldn't underestimate how much these Brazilian players want to play for Brazil. I think they really, really want to be there. They want to be involved in it. If you're Gabriel Jesus and you're told, look, there's a chance that you could play for Brazil against Argentina, mm-hmm. you're going to want to do it. Um, so I think the will of the players has a big part in all this as well. True, true. My question, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay, S. McManus on the Discord says... Hi, gents. I have a question about player evaluation. When can you decide what a player is? I've always felt a player needs four to five games in a row from the start, as in starting them, to feel comfortable and get into a rhythm. Yet we see 25 minutes from the bench and start to draw conclusions. Would four to five consecutive starts be a better way to evaluate players like Vieira, Smith-Rowe, Kivior, etc.? Is that good for the team in practice? I mean, we have seen Smith Rowe start lots of games, so yeah. I don't. Well, I wouldn't include him in this. I mean, the 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 flip side of that is like, if a player isn't starting for four or five games in a row, why? You know, is there a gap between them and the player whose position they're trying to take? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do you? I get, you know, it is difficult, I suppose, if you're only making uh, occasional appearances from the bench or you're only getting 20 minutes here and there, but uh, that's part of the job as well. Part of the job in those 20, 25 minutes is to, you know, produce something that convinces the manager that you're ready to start games. You know, that's that, true. Like, think about, um, think about Albert Sambi Lokonga. He yeah. started games, started pretty much every game in the Europa League, right? Mm-hmm. And didn't really do anything to convince you that he was going to be ready to start in the Premier League. So I guess how do you decide or when can you decide what a player is? 
that's obviously personal and subjective. Um, I don't think there's any hard, hard, fast rule, to be honest, but you just got to use your own eyes and your own understanding of, you know, the game and where a player fits into a particular team and uh, make your own mind up, you know. I don't know if there's like an ongoing checklist or something, though. Well, I think, you know, are we talking about us as fans or a club? You know, mm. us as fans, everyone can make up their mind when they want. The club are making decisions on players based on much more information than we have access to. I mean, for example, the manager, he spends seven days with the player, with the team rather. Only one of those might be a match day. Mm. Um, you know, the other five or six sessions that they do, it's probably got greater bearing on his overall evaluation of a player. Um, certainly this manager seems to place great emphasis on what players contribute in training. One thing I would say about evaluating players, and I know it's something that players sometimes feel aggrieved about, is I do think it's tough for that second string who get thrown into a game with a sort of mix and match 11 that mm. have not really played together a great deal. I think it is much more fair to evaluate a player when they are stepping into the first team than it is in a sort of pick-a-mix Carabao Cup eleven. Sure. Like you could say Fabio Vieira fits into this team because of how well he did when he deputised for Martin Odegaard against Brentford last season. But subsequently, mm, does he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's hard, like... If you're a defender, but you're in a back four that's never played together, I think that's really tough. Similarly, if you're a striker, number nine, and you know the midfield don't have that fluidity and understanding, you're going to suffer. Mm. So, you know, I know that players feel they want to be judged on how they do when they're in the team. But of course, the difficulty here is opportunity and you know, mm -hmm. the question makes a good point. Yeah, we probably should judge players when they've had five games in, you know, the preferred starting 11. But how many players like Kivior or whoever it is, Vieira on the fringes of the squad are going to get that this season? No, I mean, going back to what we were talking about, about opportunity or something happening or a space opening up for a young player coming through, sometimes a player only gets a start or a run of starts when somebody else is out of the team. Like if yeah. Gabriel gets injured, um, touch wood, et cetera, et cetera, Kivior comes in, right? That's his opportunity. But as it stands, you know, if you're playing a crunch Premier League game tomorrow, are you picking Gabriel or are you picking Kivior? I think you're mm -hmm. picking Gabriel because you go with what you know and what's worked. So, you know, just part and parcel of the job of a footballer is to be ready. And Arteta says this a lot, actually, you know, be ready to take the opportunities when they come. Um, some players have had lots of a uh, few more opportunities than others but you know there's a reason why I think for the most part most managers will stick with a relatively uh, small group of starters you know uh, I don't think that's just true of Arteta and I think you know it shows we had a question earlier on how difficult is it for these young players to make the grade well we're talking about players here who are in the case of Kivio, for example, established internationals. Mm. And we're saying it's going to be hard for him to get a run of games. It's going yeah. to be hard for him to take that moment. So I just think that underlines how difficult it is for someone who's inexperienced mm. uh, coming into the group.
I enjoyed this from Boston Gooner 77. He said, two years ago, we missed out on top four because of late season injuries to Partey and Tierney. Last year, we missed out on the title because of late season injuries to Saliba and Tomiyasu. But this year, we're getting our injury crisis out of the way early in the season. Is this Arteta's latest tactical masterstroke? <laughs> yeah, well, we all spoke about needing to pace ourselves. Um, look, there's a lot of uh, muscular injuries happening in football at the moment. It seems to me, mm. um, we just spoke about Vinicius. I think a lot of big players uh, are being ruled out. If you look around the Premier League, clubs like Manchester United, Newcastle have had extraordinary injury problems already. Yeah, fuck them though. Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously that's yeah, great. Just, but <laughs> in terms of player welfare, I do think, you know, there is probably something to be looked at there. Um, I mean, we had a question on that, actually, from Emil Smith-Rowe, your boat. He says, with the sheer number of serious muscle injuries and ACL injuries suffered by players in each of the top European leagues this season, has football now reached a breaking point with the number of games being played? Do you think we'll see a coordinated response to fixture congestion within the next five years? And if so, what form do you think that response will take? I don't know if you saw the footage of Gavi um, playing for Spain last night. Uh, rupturing his ACL, sad one. Thankfully, one of those, one of those where he was just trying to control the ball, and his his knee just did that little buckle thing, and very sad, obviously for him um, to suffer such an injury. But there are a lot of injuries, and there are very serious questions to be asked about player welfare and the the sort of constant demands that football puts on players. And you know, of course, we know they're very well paid and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day. They are um, they are only human. Um, even with the best resources, there is a point, you know, at which, you know, the the demands are too much. I think. Yeah, but my short answer would be: I don't really expect any great change there. I think, unfortunately, this is business driven, isn't it? It's money driven. The, the demand is there for the football. I think, as long as that's the case, I think the people will take the attitude that, well, there are always more players, essentially. It'd have to come from the players. Yeah. The response would have to come from the players because managers come and go and their jobs are so precarious that, you know, as much as, you know, and I'm sure many managers do have a very serious um, consideration for player welfare and want the best for players. Lots of managers were players, of course, um, and understand the demands that are being placed on them. But it's very difficult for them when, you know, win your next game or you're out or bring a trophy this season or you're out or, you know, they have to make decisions for their for their own jobs. I think, you know, a strong players union would be the only way in which we could see any meaningful response um, that might get something changed. But as you say, it's business it's money, it's TV deals, you know, right from the end of the season, it's international tournaments, then it's preseason tournaments, you know, uh, interlulls all the way through. There's no downtime for players anymore. And I think the unfortunate consequence of that is some players are going to get injured with greater frequency and football will just go on. Because like you say, there's just always more players. Yeah, and we're we're existing in a time where competitions are expanding. You know, where World Cups and European Championships are getting 
bigger. Champion, the Champions League is getting bigger. More games uh, to come in that competition moving forward. So we're actually going in the opposite direction right now. And I think it would take something pretty drastic to see that reversed. Um, yeah. What about uh, we had Critical T with his player ratings game? Oh, no way. Awesome. Let's do Fancy it. Fancy a round of that? Yeah, why not? Okay. The game that needs no introduction, says Critical T. Quite right. So here we go. Rating number one. Okay. We'll play along at home. Got his first Arsenal goal, and what a goal it was too. The finish was just sublime, swerving just beyond the reach of that baldy mug smasher. Then set up Giroud for our second. Quality. Baldy mug smasher. So who, that must be Pepe Reina? Pepe Reina, yeah. Must be, so got his first Arsenal goal against Liverpool. And what a goal. And then set up Giroud. Fuck. I mm. I don't know actually. Um I'm Gabriel Martinelli? Could it you be? Think Martinelli. No. I think couldn't be. I think Kazola or Podolski is my guess. Because uh, could be Kazola, but uh, was it a swerve? We won a game at Anfield yeah, early on. That, that's that what I was thinking. I was thinking Podolski scored, I'm sure, didn't he? I thought so, yeah. We went through and but didn't Kazorla score that day as well? Wasn't it Podolsky and Kazorla who scored that day? I think you're right. Not Giroud. I don't know. I'm giving up on that one. You'll have to give me the answer. I'm going to guess Kazorla. Let's okay. go Kazorla. I don't know the game. The answer is Mesut Ozil. Oh. Oh, home to Napoli. The mug smasher was a red her herring. He was ex-Liverpool by that time. Ah. Good one, Critical T. Fox dust. Yeah. That was, of course, the sort of cushioned volley from the edge of the ball. Yeah, box. the side footer. What a great finish that was. Yeah. Okay, rating number two, 10 out of 10. Ooh. A goal and an assist. And he said on Sky he hates Spurs in so many words. A goal and an assist and he hates Spurs. 10 out of 10. Mm. Fuck. Can't be Robert Pires. The player races weren't in action. No, the they weren't. God. He said he on Sky he hates Spurs. I feel like we would have mm. venerated a player for that, you know. It feels a bit Jack Wilshire to me. Yeah. But okay. I can't remember a Wilshire goal and an assist in the same I'm game. gonna say Theo. I'm gonna say Theo. Oh. I feel like you know, he'd have a little laugh in an interview afterwards. I can't remember ever giving Theo a 10 out of 10, though. <laughs> <laughs> if he, if he, if he deserved that effort? Yeah, 10 out of 10. Um, okay, go for it. Who is it? The answer is Emile Smith-Rowe. Ah. Arsenal 3, Spurs 1, 2021-22. Oh, damn. He said he hates Spurs. I'll have to watch that interview back. Okay. 7.5 out of 10 for this one. Mm -hmm. Great delivery from the left again. Giroud and Walcott should probably have scored. Shooting a touch wayward, though. Knocked the wind out of Jamie Carragher for a bonus. Knocked it. So that's got to be Podolsky. Is Giroud it? Giroud and Walcott should probably have scored. You'd think. Great like, delivery from the left. Who, who could hit a ball that would knock the wind out of Jamie Carragher? There's a you lot of wind weird. in there. Carragher is like 
the same era as Jeroen Walcott, but he feels like he's from an earlier time. Yes, yeah. yeah. It seems odd that he would be playing with those players. I know that so- sounds strange. The answer was Lucas Podolski. Yeah. And it was a home 2-2 in 2012-13. Right. Um, that was a good one. We got that one. So we've got one out of three so far. It was a weird player, Podolski, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone who can hit the ball quite as hard. No. His delivery could be excellent. His end product could be very, very good. Mm. But that was sort of it, wasn't it? And then he just sort of jogs around. Of chunder around the pitch. Yeah. And then every so often he just fucking cannonball something into the top corner. You're like, oh, my God. He was like a piece of heavy artillery that you just sort of had to try and manoeuvre <laughs> into the right position. Um, okay, player racing number four. Okay. 8.5 out of 10. Absolutely fucking immense. <laughs> Three tackles, three interceptions, five clearances, and he made Sterling look like some kind of dodgy cryptocurrency. <laughs> um, I Sterling. am going to say that had to... Um, Gabriel or Saliba. Gabriel or Saliba. That's what I'm thinking. So you're thinking Sterling at Man City. Mm. Mm. Because it could be Liverpool or Chelsea. When did he join Chelsea? Not this season, the season before. So it could have been, I think it could be from last season. So I'm going to go Saliba. Okay, I'm going to go Tommy Asu. Okay. It's Tommy Asu. Oh, well done. Well done. I went with quite Mark Goldbridge there in my action. It's Tommy Asu! Bloody uh, hell! <laughs> so that was the home game against City where Gabriel was sent off. Right. Where we lost. Oh. Uh, right. Here we go. Last one. Last one. Eight out of ten. By the way, mm-hmm. 8.5 for absolutely fucking immense. For me, that should be a nine or a ten. I agree. What was I thinking? I don't know. These play races are bullshit. Okay. <laughs> they are by their very nature complete bullshit. People always get <laughs> people the the thing that people get angriest about on the website is player <laughs> ratings. How could you give him a seven? Whether it should have been a five or a nine or whatever it is, it's just like, well, you know, you're actually allowed to rate the players yourselves as well. You know, no one's taking that away from you. So That's true. It's a democratic mm-hmm. system. Yeah. Um so here we go, last one. Eight out of ten. What a great performance he put in. Encapsulated by his late pressing, which forced United backwards as we were sitting deep. Loved it. Hmm. Thomas Partey? Okay. And I'll go... Eddie? Right, let's see. Roll the dice. Well, well, well. Mohamed El Nene. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first name that sprung to my head. Was it? It really was. But I was thinking like, because I remember him he played, coming on. It, it's the game where we won 1-0 at, at Old Trafford. That was the game I was thinking of, yeah. Played next to Partey. But you field. see, my yeah, my brain played a trick on me there. And I thought he, he only came on late to do the pressing thing but now that you remind me yeah he did play but Partey was very very good in that game but I remember the El Neni pressing because it was yeah uh, I think they had a little run together as a partnership after that and it was kind of uh, it was all uh, right yeah Mm. 
I mean, Ian Lenny is a player who, if you put someone next to him, who you know is your your playmaker essentially, and just say you do all the dirty work, he 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 certainly will run for you. That is true. That is true. Um, there you go. Well, it's always good fun during the interlude. We'll go round of that. Thank you, Critical T, for doing yep. the homework. Appreciate that. We weren't quite as good a, 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 as good at uh, figuring out which ones they were this week. But, uh, you know, that's down to the foxiness of the uh, of the ratings that he selected. So we look forward to another go at this in the next interlull, which, of course, isn't until next year, probably next March. So he's got plenty of time to sort of delve into the archives and find some really tricky ones. Um, I did want to finish with this one, though, if you don't mind. Gabrielle, uh, who's at Gabrielle underscore AFC7, Said morning, gents. With Arsenal recently reaching 1,000 goals at the Emirates, please name your favourite Emirates goal and your favourite Emirates assist. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned that uh, that it was the thousandth goal that Leo Trossard scored um, at the Emirates last last week, whatever it was. Mm. Um, my favourite goal at the Emirates. Someone asked me this the other day, actually. Yeah, and. I answered by saying that it is the Reese Nelson goal. And I know that might just yeah, sound like I'm picking that because it's recent, but in terms of the quality of the goal, the significance of the goal, the drama of the moment, that I think will be very difficult right. to surpass. Okay. What about you? Sesc Fabregas against Spurs. The one from kickoff. The one from kickoff. Yeah. I just can still remember the feeling of that goal. I was there for that game as well. So it was one I experienced in in person and the sort of surreal nature of scoring and then scoring again straight away. You know, I don't think I've really experienced that too many times. Um, as a football fan, I just love that goal and the fact that he just ran through the Spurs defence and slotted home. Uh, makes it all the all the better. So it's like a playground goal, wasn't it? It was sort of like you shouldn't be able to do that at this level. Yeah, um, and he just did. He did. Yeah, that's a great goal. Honorable mentions to Oshavin against Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Giroud's scorpion goal. I would have in there just for being an absolutely extraordinary feat that I don't think I'll ever see again. Um, Jack Wilshere's goal. Yeah. Thomas yeah. Rosicki's goal, which was somewhat similar. Who did yes. he score that one against? against Sunderland, uh, was it? Or Burnley? Oh, I, or... I wanted to say Norwich, but it's not. No, Wilshire was against Norwich. The Rosicki goal was, I think, against Sunderland. Sunderland, you're right. It was Sunderland. I um, also really like Thierry Henry's header against Manchester United, the last-minute yeah. header, because... Again, it's one of those where, you know, wins you a game late on and that's a very special feeling. But he didn't really score too many headers like that uh, nope. during his time at Arsenal. So it was, it's a goal that sticks in my mind. A lot of people would have Henri against Leeds as well, I think, maybe the return. Yeah. That was quite a special moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there have been some, there have been some, <laughs> some great goals and some great moments. I just, yeah, I, I, I think that Nelson one will live with me for a long, long time. Sure. I can't remember any assists, by the way. <laughs> so 
I'm sure there've been some, plenty of amazing ones, but I can't remember any of them right now. So no, that's we'd, fair be, we'd be here until it's uh, not the. Next week. I know. I was going to say something so stupid. Then I was going to say, well, it's not the thousandth assist, but obviously, if there have been a thousand goals, presumably there have been assists of some fashion. Yeah, that's what you count as an assist these days. That's true. Penalties and free kicks and things like sure. that wouldn't necessarily Goals have an assist. The opposition players pass directly to the striker. You know, yes, those kinds of. Things. When it's the thousandth assist, we will make our choice. Yeah, we'll need um, our pals at Opta or something to to give us the heads exactly. up on that one, and then we can we can review the footage and all the rest of it. All right, we better leave it there. Get this podcast out for everybody. Thank you, uh, as always, for being with us. Uh, thank you as well to everybody who uh, gave us a vote for the uh, Football Supporters Awards. I think the polls close at midday, so by the time you've heard this, um, the polls will be closed. But thank you uh, to everybody who's given us your votes, and hopefully we can uh, bring the trophy home on December 4th or something, whenever it is. Uh, We'll let you know for now. Take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.